Beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, open any children's story Bible and you can find a description of the ten plagues in Egypt. Although the animated illustrations are unable to capture the complete devastation of the land, they help us remember that the ten plagues included a bloody river, frogs, gnats, flies, death of livestock, boil, hail, locusts, darkness, and death of the firstborn of Egypt. Studying these plagues, several commentators believe that many of them were just natural phenomenon, albeit intense, and that each subsequent plague resulted from the one that came before. Sadly, such attempts to prove to unbelieving hearts that the plagues actually happened, and uh, as the Bible says they did, also they change the text to say that the water of the Nile only changed color to red and didn't turn to blood. And they tend to undermine the direct intentional involvement of the sovereign God in Egypt at that time. The reality is, although it may be possible to see the connection between the plagues, similar to the connection between the severity of the floods in B.C. and the forest fires that preceded them, and perhaps it's even possible to argue that some of the plagues were common to Egypt on a smaller scale, not even Pharaoh or his magicians could deny that these plagues were the finger of God and were more than just a coincidence, a freak of nature, or even the act of some strange sorcery. The text we read today reveals to us that the Lord used the plagues to send a message to the world about who he is. This message is revealed not only in each plague individually, but also in the entire collection of the plagues together, as we could see when we sang Psalm 78 together. A careful study shows that there are certain patterns in the plagues that show a development in the way that God was dealing with Pharaoh and Egypt. For example, you can see that the first nine plagues can be divided into three groups of three plagues each. And the first plague of each group takes place at an encounter at the Nile. That's the first and the fourth and the seventh plagues. The second encounter takes place at the king's palace, the second, the fifth, and the eighth plague. And the third is a follow-up that's just sent without any words of warning to the king. That's the third, the sixth, and the ninth plagues. We can also see a development from the first to the second and to the third group as the plagues become more severe and we can see changes in the way that Pharaoh is responding to these mighty acts of God. And as we look at the big picture of this event in history, we will notice that the repeated theme in Exodus 7 to 11 is that the Lord used the plagues to reveal the glory of his name so that all the earth might bow before him in worship. 
And I preach to you this gospel under the theme, the Lord sent plagues so that you might know that there is none like him in all the earth. See the ten plagues against Egypt reveal the power of your almighty Savior, the powerlessness of those who oppose him, and the protection of those who take refuge in him. The Lord's display of his absolute power over heaven and earth make it clear that our God is glorious and sovereign, a Savior with much power. The signs and wonders that were performed were given to leave no doubt in Pharaoh's mind that Pharaoh was not just dealing with Moses and Aaron or the people of Israel, but he was dealing with the creator of heaven and earth. This is first established for Pharaoh when he asked Moses and Aaron to prove themselves. And Aaron's staff swallowed up the staffs of the magicians, presumably while they were still in their snake forms. Then the Lord confirmed his power through the mighty ten plagues. The first plague took away the water source from the Egyptians when the Nile was turned to blood. Not only was the Nile River venerated as the creator of all mankind and a major source of protein from fish, but in a country with an average, an average rainfall of just a few centimeters, it was necessary for sustaining all of their life. It was a frightening display of God's power to see a man with a stick strike the water with the result that the water turned to blood and the stink of dead animals dying in the blood could be smelled all over Egypt. Although the sheer number of frogs which appeared at the order of Aaron's staff was enough to reveal God's power in the second plague, the Lord distinguished himself from all other powers in the universe by allowing Pharaoh to also choose when the plague of frogs should end. Read that. When, when Moses said to Pharaoh, you be pleased to pick the time and the day. I would think that anyone who still worshipped the frog god of Egypt or who believed that demon powers manifested themselves with frogs like you can read about in Revelation 16, These people would certainly get the point from the stinking, rotting piles of the animal that they once feared and worshipped, and they would have begun to question their faith. Then came the gnats, little stinging insects that miraculously materialized out of the dust of the earth after Aaron struck it with his staff. And shortly after that, the Egyptians could see that they couldn't even trust the sacred ground they walked on when it turned on them in swarms of flies that ruined the land. Chapter 8, verse 24. Their envy of untouched Goshen, where God's people dwelt, must have stirred up a longing for, for the God of Israel who announced himself. I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. Chapter 8, verse 22. Well, then it was the livestock's turn, and the sacred bull died beside the lowly lamb 
in all the Egyptian countryside. Chapter 9, the first seven verses. The sixth plague brought God's wrath even closer to the individual Egyptians and the suit from the kilns the Israelites had been forced to produce in their slavery now came back to against the Egyptian ranks to cover their bodies with festering bloody boils. By the seventh plague, we can imagine the emaciated, wounded Egyptians some being beaten to death by hail in the field along with the plants and the trees of the field while where Moses and Aaron must have been miraculously shielded and others looking fearfully out of their shelters at the blazing display of God's power in the storm of thunder and fire running down to the earth. The decimation of the water, the fish, the crops and the livestock, along with the people's health and hope and trust in their false gods and secret arts, was made even more severe when God sent an enormous swarm of locusts as the eighth plague. Once again, our text highlights that this, this was not a so-called natural occurrence by emphasizing the magnitude of the swarm and the way that Israel's almighty Savior could turn it off or turn it on and turn it off in response to the prayer of his servant. Our text does not mention the cause of the darkness that came for three days afterward. But since a sandstorm or smoke from wildfires are not mentioned, while Goshen's light and Pharaoh's urgent summoning of Moses are mentioned, the text leaves us with no other explanation than that God himself had darkened the sun to express the utter curse upon the land of Egypt. The tenth and last plague that the Lord threatens to send in chapter 11 will end the matter. For then the Lord himself will act without secondary causes to bring an unwilling Pharaoh to his knees in complete submission. When the Israelites eventually left the land, the world would know forever that God is more powerful than, than all the other forces in the universe. This is the God we worship and we adore. The God we know in Christ and can call our Father. Let us never lose sight of the sovereign power of the creator of heaven and earth. Nothing that happens is outside of the control of the God that we may pray to in Christ for help. We read from the chapter that describes the seventh, we read from the chapter that describes the seventh plague, chapter 9, because that section helps us to understand important aspects of the power of God that he was displaying. Before the seventh plague, and seven is a number of fullness, perhaps as an extra warning before the fullness of his anger was unleashed in the last plagues, the Lord revealed to Moses and Aaron that his great acts of judgment, chapter 7, verse 4, are not just a blind fury 
meant to destroy innocent people in an unjust way. But God sent the plagues to reveal himself. Exodus 7 verse 5 explains, The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people Israel from among them. In Exodus 9 verse 16, which is also quoted by Paul in Romans 9 verse 17, which was the display text today, the Lord says, But for this purpose I have raised you up, Pharaoh, to show you my power, so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. When the Lord our Almighty Savior displays his power, no one can stand before him. You see the powerlessness of all who oppose him. When the Lord told Moses that he had been made as God to Pharaoh, that's chapter 7, verse 1, he revealed that the meetings between Moses and Pharaoh were really battles in a larger war between God and a very stubborn Pharaoh. God made Moses his representative and his mouthpiece. And when Moses spoke to Pharaoh, he always made this clear by declaring, and it's repeated with every time, the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has sent me to you, saying, let my people go, that they may serve me in the wilderness. Although Pharaoh would resist, the Lord announced from the beginning that he would stretch out his hand against Egypt and bring out the people Israel from among them. Well, we read in chapter 7, verse 6, that Moses and Aaron obeyed. They did just as the Lord commanded them, and they were blessed. Pharaoh experienced the wrath of God because he refused to humble himself before the Lord. Like we read, for example, in chapter 10, verse 3. Even after the Lord exposed the, the weaknesses of the magicians that Pharaoh had summoned in his attempt to undermine the greatness of the display of God's power. We read first of these magicians in the end of or, or chapter 7, verses 8 to 13. And whether the secret arts we read about are demonic powers or the secret arts of sleight of hand and optical illusions, the wise men and sorcerers were powerful people who could turn staff, staffs into snakes, water into blood, and make frogs come from the water. When Pharaoh saw his magician doing, doing some of the same things that the Lord was doing, he felt confirmed in his rebellion. You could see that in chapter 7, Verse 22, and perhaps this is why the Lord so thoroughly embarrassed the magicians. First, Aaron's staff snake eats up theirs to show that their secret arts were inferior to the Lord's. And perhaps also a foreshadowing of what the Lord was going to do to all of Egypt. Then, when the magicians go and do the next two miracles, they end up serving God's purposes themselves by just making more blood and more frog. Like today, somebody might reproduce and, and create more virus. Well, rather than fight against the punishment that God was bringing, they ended up serving as instruments in his cause, joining in 
punishing their own people. By the third plague, the gnats, the magicians weren't even able to do the same things God had done, much less reverse it. And like a child who is forced to acknowledge the superior power of an older sibling in, in some way or another, the, Egyptian, or the magicians are forced by their failure to proclaim the name of God to Pharaoh, saying in chapter 8, verse 19, this is the finger of God. God is able to raise up the most unlikely gospel preachers. The next time we read about the magicians, chapter 9, verse 11, they are unable to even stand before Moses and the last scene we have of them is, is fleeing away to their homes now covered with boils. Well, through the plagues, the Lord humbled the king of Egypt, undermined his faith and his secret arts of his magicians in his river, sun, frog, storm, fertility, and livestock gods, and also his faith in himself, his own arrogance. In the middle of the plagues, the Lord said to Pharaoh, chapter 9, verse 17, you are still exalting yourself against my people. Pharaoh's sin was his pride and his rebellion before the anger of the Lord of hosts. And his response reminds us of the wicked people that we can read about in Revelation 16, who kept on cursing the name of the Lord, even though the Lord poured out the seven bowls of his wrath upon them. The amazing thing is that God's power is so great that he can cause even the most persistent, hard-hearted, and rebellious king to let his people go to worship him. God's enemies are truly powerless before him. The Israelites would have to be patient in the process, but we can see how Pharaoh moved from first dismissing the threats of plagues and turning to go back into his house, chapter 7, verse 23, to lying about his intention to set the people free in order to trick God into giving the people respite, chapter 8, verses 8 and 15, to refusing to listen to the warnings of his magicians, chapter 8, verse 19, to a series of compromises through which he still tried to maintain some control and then finally to complete surrender. And in the midst of this process of God revealing the powerlessness of Pharaoh to Pharaoh himself, the king of Egypt tried to make a deal with the Lord as if he had some claims to the people of God, the children of God, that he was oppressing. After some time of refusal, he started with the offer, chapter 8, verses 25 and 28, go, sacrifice to your God within the land. Or, next, at least not very far into the wilderness. Well, when this was refused by God's servant, the king offered to let just the men go out, chapter 10, verses 7 to 11. And after some further words, the king even promised that he would permit every Israelite to go on the condition that they leave their flocks and herds behind, chapter 10, verse 24. In his desperation to regain control of his own life, the king of Egypt even talked about his sin 
He even asked for forgiveness at one point. But his deceitful offers and his insincere apologies were powerless before the Almighty Savior who knows the hearts of all his people. He is not a God that the wicked can manipulate. It's striking to see how our Almighty Savior's unwillingness to compromise with the King at any point, striking to see his unwillingness to compromise. His covenant people, young and old, with all their possessions, belong to him. And God would not cheap out on his deliverance. He would not allow anyone to diminish or ruin the blessing he had planned for his people and promised to them. Although Pharaoh took out his anger on Moses and Aaron, kicking them out and calling them back and kicking them out again, he was unable to control or manipulate the God who had sent them, who had made the promises. If Pharaoh's hardened heart had even the smallest ounce of common sense, he would have believed the threat that the Lord spoke to him in Exodus 11, verses 1 to 10. He would not have repeated the mistake of the unbelievers in Noah's day who were warned about the flood but did not submit to God to enter the ark. When God tells us that he is coming in judgment, we do well to pay attention to his words and not just continue, as our Lord Jesus said, eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage. When God reveals the glory of his name, we do well to receive his offer of salvation with humble and thankful hearts. For we know that he is able to protect those who take refuge in him. The picture of Egypt on the eve of the Exodus shows the contrast between the lives of those who rebel against the Lord and must suffer under the curse of his wrath and the chosen people of God who turn to him in trust. God wants his people to remember that contrast. He told Moses that he had hardened Pharaoh's heart and the heart of his servants so that he might show his signs among them. And then we read in Exodus 10, verses 1 and 2, And said the Lord, that you may tell in the hearing of your son and your grandson how I have dealt harshly with the Egyptians and what signs I have done among them, that you may know that I am the Lord. And we continue to do that today. The Lord wants us to remember the curse along with the blessings that we receive. The introduction to the Ten Commandments that we read every Sunday gives us a weekly reminder that God brought us out from under the curse and from slavery and misery with his mighty hand and his outstretched arm. And although there are no more pharaohs in our lives causing misery, we still confess that the devil, the world, and our own flesh do not cease to attack us. When the Lord tells us now how to live in our redeemed life, when he explains his will for us, his desire to live in fellowship with us, 
It's good to remember what happens to those who rebel against him like Pharaoh did. In Exodus 11 verse 8, we read that Moses expressed the hot anger of God against those whose selfish pride and refusal to submit to God continue to cause such damage and destruction in the earth, such harm to the people around him. Moses was seeing this king who who just allowed these punishments to just watch his people suffer because of his sin, that hot anger against those who continue to harm. The Lord's question to Pharaoh continues to echo through the ages. Chapter 10, verse 3, How long will you refuse to humble yourself before me? May we also remember that the Lord dealt harshly with those who rebelled against him, that we may know that he is the Lord and turn to him in humble submission and trust. The plagues served to highlight that the people of Israel were distinct. They were special in God's eyes and that he was protecting them from further slavery as a father protects his beloved child. The Lord made this clear to Moses and the Israelites long before Moses and Aaron approached Pharaoh when he talked to Moses at the burning bush and reminded him of all the promises he had given that we read about the gospel in Genesis. He also made it very clear during the plagues when he set Goshen apart from the rest of Egypt. While the rest of Egypt was under the punishment of God and in the plagues and in the curse of darkness for their hardness of heart, there was light and there was life in the place where the people of God were dwelling. It was like they were under the shadow of his wings, safe and protected from harm, even while their heavenly Father poured out his wrath against their enemies. It would appear that even the people in Egypt could see that the God of the Israelites was just and holy and gracious. For we read of how they looked upon the people of Israel with favor. Our Lord had given the Egyptians many warnings, even sending two men into into Pharaoh's presence to to pray for, for relief. Exodus 9 verse 15 to 17 elaborates to explain that although God could have just struck down Egypt with with one mighty blow, the plagues were calculated to bring men to repentance that they might join in proclaiming his name. In the plague of the blood, the people could still dig wells. Chapter 7 verse 24. And with the plague of the hail, God made it possible for those who feared him and who believed that he was truly God to find shelter for themselves and their animals in his grace. A close comparison between Revelation 16 and Exodus 7 to 11 helps us to see that the judge of the earth, brothers and sisters, is returning in glory. And all who do not humble themselves before him will be destroyed. However, just as in the days of the plagues in Egypt, by God's grace, there is a way to escape his punishment and to again be received into favor. 
It means recognizing that He is the only Almighty Savior of everyone who turns to Him in humility. Not only confessing your sins and asking for forgiveness as Pharaoh had tried, but also following up and repenting of the hardness of your heart, which Pharaoh did not do. If you are listening today and do not yet know the Lord, the good news is that it is not too late. For even in the time of judgment, we see in our text, His arms are open to receive those who fear His name, who turn to Him in repentance. And the gospel message is that as we draw near to God in Jesus Christ, we may find shelter in His wings. For although each one of us deserves the curse of God against our sins. That's so clearly pictured in Exodus 7 to to 11, and you can see it again in Revelation 16. This was the curse that Jesus Christ bore on his shoulders for everyone who believes in him, for us and in our place. And beloved brothers and sisters, in Jesus Christ, although your life may not always be easy and comfortable, You may know that you are in Goshen, where there is no longer any curse, and where the bowls of God's wrath will not be poured down upon you. God sent the plagues so that you may know that there is no one like Him in all the earth. Brothers and sisters, let us trust in Him. For if the Almighty Savior is on our side. No one who is against us will stand, and we will indeed be protected forever. Amen.